I wanted to talk a little bit today um, being Mother's Day. And uh, it's a relationship that we all have to some extent. Um, it, it may be past, it may be, but it's still present in us. Um, it has an effect on us. And um, I was reading in Lumpur Pasno's book, Don't Hold Back, this little little book. We have, we have many of these downstairs. I believe we have many of these downstairs. And I'll read more in a minute. But I'm going to start with this little bit here, and then I'm gonna, going to share um, a story of, uh, for myself and my mother that kind of takes this um, and brings it into the realm, takes it and helps me, helped me practice uh, with my relationship with my mom, which was, you know, when I was a little girl, well, you don't know, but when I was a little girl, I absolutely adored my mother. And then as I got to be pre-tweeny, eh, not so much. <laughs> and then when I got to be coming out of my teens, yeah, I really had some uh, challenges. And, uh, and then as an adult, thought I knew better. Uh, and then as I, you know, I was in my mid thirties or late thirties, early forties, probably when I, well, I was older than that. But anyway, at some point in my life, after practicing the Dhamma, Lumpur Pasano shared with me that this is not, this is, this, this is not according to Dhamma. You need to find a way to respect and honor your mother, no matter who I've clung onto in my perceptions as my relationship with her. And so I'll share a little bit about how the practice helped. So this piece I'm going to read from this book, Don't Hold Back, it doesn't address mothers and daughters, but it's, it addressed relationships and, and it's really valuable, I think. And it certainly helped me and applied with my relationship uh, with my mother. So I'm gonna start with this little piece and then later I'll read the bigger, bigger bit. But uh, from the book, Don't Hold Back, Aspects of Wisdom on page 88, Longhor Pasno. We need to see the truth of things in all situations and the wholesome response appropriate to Dhamma in a way that creates benefit and is grounded in freedom. There needs to be a real questioning within the heart. If truth and practice are not informing and supporting each other, then the whole path of freedom doesn't manifest. That balance is very difficult to actualize. The teachings give us tools to investigate more clearly, to strike a balance with wisdom. We need to learn to utilize wisdom to cut through and, relinqu and relinquish defilements, biases, and prejudices, rather than to support them. In truth, there is dukkha. The practice, there is a way of a path. There is a path of practice that leads to the end of dukkha. 
The cultivation of the path is always grounded in qualities that lead to brightness, clarity, stillness, and happiness. This is how we know that we're on the path. If truth and practice are not informing and supporting each other, then the whole path to freedom doesn't manifest. So as a young adult and into my, let me think, probably actually into my early 50s, 66. Anyway, as a young adult and a mature adult, middle-aged adult, I had a very volatile relationship with my mother. You know, I was, I was always, uh, I was stuck in the perceptions of that which I felt weren't her best qualities or the qualities that I expected a mother to have and that I wanted. And I went through a period where I used to tell her <laughs> What, these, what she was lacking and what would make me feel better. You know, it was very hard for me to accept just who she was. And, uh, and I wanted more. I wanted more from her. And I remember complaining <laughs> one day with Lumpur Pasano, who uh, did not share my grievances, did not support it, but rather reminded me that this is not the path to freedom. You know, desiring for my mother to be different than who she actually is, demanding that of her, you know, and holding on to a viewpoint that I had built up over the years. There's a, I'm just gonna jump for a moment. I remember a teaching by Lumpur Sumedho shared once that one of his nuns was about to go visit her parents. And she had a relationship with her mother that was difficult for her. And she was asking Lumpur, you know, my, my mother is not going to accept that I have a bald head now. So she was a fairly new uh, none and she hadn't yet been home since she had shaved her head so she was thinking that she would in order to avoid conflict with her she'd just wear a hat the whole time and she was asking Lumpur about this is, it, is that is that okay she won't actually like the hat either when we had dinner together but I thought it was the less of two evils and what he said is do not make your mother before you actually meet her in every moment. You're building up a story, rightly or wrongly, through experience or not, you are holding on to perceptions of who she is and how you need to defend yourself before you actually see her. So what you wanna do is be open and curious I thought this was a really great teaching for me because this was short, shortly after Longpore had instructed me. I need to have find a way to respect my mother, find what I can respect of her, and leave the rest alone. 
deal with it. <laughs> you know, that suffering is my internal process. So I took that to heart, but I had no idea how I was going to do this. You know, just like, mm, but I have so many stories that are based in reality and experiences, and this is who she is, which also meant then this is who I am when I'm in, you know, when I am present with her. She's like this, and so I'm like this. She needs to be otherwise, or I'm going to be suffering. And Lumpur is like, no, 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 no. He wouldn't join in, in with me on my grievances. Instead, he pointed back to where the suffering actually happens. You know, I'm holding on to perceptions. I'm making her a person, rightly or wrongly, based on my experiences. And I'm resenting that person before I even talk to her. So, I worked with this for a couple of years, actually. And eventually, my mom had a hernia in her back. She, by this time, she's 83 years old. And she got a hernia, hernia in her back. And she had to go in for uh, an operation to release uh, the pressure in her back. And uh, so she went in for the operation. And then it became apparent that she was actually not going to be able to return home. She lived in a small apartment by herself. She was not going to be able to return home uh, for three weeks. And so she needed somewhere to be. And I was just, I did not want, I did not want to live with her. I, I thought this was just going to be too much. It was, it's going to really push me over the edge. This is not a good thing. And so I talked to many of my brothers and sisters, all of who lived at least one, the closest other person in our family that could take her lived 20 miles away. And I was only four miles away. She lived 20 miles away. And then other members of the family were scattered throughout the United States. So, so I brought mom home, brought her home for the first week. She slept most of the time. Second week, she was awake and just beginning to get out of bed and whatnot. At that time, I was going to have to bathe her. And so I just dropped all my perceptions as far as turning my attention away from. I don't want to do this. Oh, this person needs help bathing and they're in pain. I'll help her bathe. So with that attitude, like it's not my mom because I couldn't think of my mom without putting her in this frame of which I resented, had all sorts of righteousness come up. And so now it, my practice was, here's a patient. This lovely old woman needs help in the, into, into the tub. She needs help to wash her back. You know, so I started, I started to do that. And that felt very, very different than making her this person that I was holding on to that I resented. It's just drop all that. It comes up, turn my attention away. This patient needs some help. 
And it was a really lovely relationship began to form that I didn't even know was still possible. But it what, what began to happen is it brought up years of when I was younger, how I actually adored this person, what I loved about her. You know, and I, was, I was really close to her when I was little. So anyway, she, I had always been a little nervous of talking to her about my being a Buddhist. And this was shortly after I started to live by the five precepts. I'm taking a month long Parpasana, I'm living by the five precepts. I've, now I've been invited to uh, into a training with Long Parpasana and Ajahn Amaro to become a lay, uh, lay minister representing a Vaigiri uh, lineage. So this was a, a way of being a bridge for, for them, myself and 11 other people invited into this training. And so I was really wanting to talk to my mom about this, but in order to do that, I had to put it in the frame of, this is a lovely person who's very, very religious. She's a Catholic, was a Catholic, very devout. And uh, when I first became um, interested in Buddhism and shared with her why I was interested in Buddhism, she was very upset because she knew that we didn't follow Jesus Christ as the savior of the world or the son of God. Um, so, and, you know, that led to a few arguments and, and my being defensive. And now I'm trying to take another attitude. Okay, instead of making her this person that resents my Buddhism because she clearly doesn't understand the wisdom of it, <laughs> you know, being a little snippy, Instead of that, I've got this woman in my house who's in, who's in the process of healing from a very serious injury on her back, in her back, an old woman who is a very devout Catholic, has a strong spiritual life, and so do I. I would really like to share with her a little bit on this. And I, so I just became open to the possibility of that happening, but I had no idea how that would happen because I couldn't do it addressing her in the framework that I had built and, and uh, built of her because it would be defiant and it would require her to change. And so I just left it, you know, the, the, the following week, I just left it in my heart to be curious you know, I'm curious about her religion. I'm curious if there's anything that I can relate to in that that wouldn't offend her. How would I be with her? Minus my perceptions of resentment, how would I be with this person today in this moment according to Dhamma, according to right speech, according to kindness, according to the ability to not make her into something before our moments of exchange. How do I do this? So I was just curious on how to do this. 
So she started, I used to take her breakfast. She started to get up for breakfast. And the first time that she sat in my kitchen table for breakfast, brought her out for breakfast. And she said, honey, there's ants in your, on your counter. And sure enough, <laughs> there were a string of ants coming in through this little crack across the counter all the way up the window and out of another little crack. I mean, like hundreds of them. <laughs> and I said, oh, oh, I'll get them. And I took a piece of paper and a pastry brush and I swept it, started sweeping them up on the paper, took them outside, shook the paper, came back, shook, took it outside, shook it. And I did this until they were pretty much gone. And then they'd start to come through Again, and my mom jumped up off the chair and said, let me help. Do you have some raid? <laughs> and I was like, mom, I can't kill them. I'm not gonna kill them. I'm just gonna do it this way. And, uh, and she was like, why, not, why aren't you gonna kill them? So because I'm, I'm living on what's called the five precepts. And so she asked me about what are the five precepts and I talked about them. And she said, you know, if you actually follow those precepts word for word, you'll be living by the 10 commandments. And so we had a lovely conversation for the next couple of days about her 10 commandments and my five precepts and how they overlapped. And it was really, it was really bonding in a, in a beautiful way and not something that had I preconceived of who she was and how I had to defend myself against that because she wasn't right and I was, that conversation would have never happened. So she, on the final day that she was there and I'm going to take her home that afternoon. So the final day, she says, let me make the breakfast. Oh, thank you very much. And so I slept in she called me down for breakfast. And as I came into the kitchen, she's got a piece of paper in her hand and a pastry brush and she's sweeping up the ants. And she turns around with a really big smile. And as she passes me to dump them outside, she says, you know, you make a much better Christian as a Buddhist than you ever did as a Catholic. <laughs> and she's right. <laughs> And, and we became very close after that. That was, we could then share our spiritual lives without having to say, I'm Buddhist and you're Catholic. And so we can't get along. We just dropped all those preconceived and talked about where we were the same. What was it that lifted our hearts about our spiritual journeys? So, I'm gonna go ahead and read this little bit from Longhor's book. I've um, scaled it down a little bit because he goes into other teachings, but it's really quite, quite appropriate to relationships. And in this case, thinking about mothers because it's Mother's Day. So the truth and practice, and you'll hear that bit again that I read earlier. The Buddha taught two ways that the Dhamma is expressed. One is the way of truth, the other the way of practice. 
Practice and truth rely on each other and are never separated. The way of practice involves the, involves the cultivation of the Noble Eightfold Path, the cultivation of virtue, concentration, and wisdom. This path provides a roadmap, a roadmap to freedom from dukkha. Cultivation of the path is always grounded in qualities that lead to brightness, clarity, stillness, and happiness. There's a certain interface here that is intrinsic to the nature of the teachings and the nature of truth. There is dukkha and there is the capacity to apply wisdom to overcome dukkha. So we take these two aspects, the truth and practice to investigate and see what works for the overcoming of discontent and dis-ease. Embedded in the teachings is the way of practice the element of truth, which relies on cultivating that which is completely harmless and wholesome. That cultivation in turn leads to the quality of stillness and brightness within the heart, the quality of concentration, then aspects of wisdom can arise. We are able to see what is appropriate or necessary, what needs to be let go of, what needs to be cultivated. That's the function of wisdom and the appropriate response to the fact that all phenomena are fundamentally unsatisfactory. Both elements of the truth are necessary to create an abiding place of freedom and peace. However, the teaching is not yet complete. The complete goes on to describe the way of practice. Being well-trained, well-practiced, well-cultivated is what leads to a true refuge or a rare refuge. It is a synergy between the two aspects of wisdom that completes the picture. In order to find our true refuge, we need to train and be well-trained. That's where the cultivation of that which is skillful and grounded in the wholesome is needed. The Buddha taught many times over that it is through association with the wise and those who are steeped in goodness that we grow in Dhamma. It is in this regard that we are actually independent and where it's appropriate to say the self is not reliant on others. We can examine the teachings and look at experience with the eyes of the Buddha and ask what is true? What is the best way to practice with it? What is the most skillful way to live with it? Ajahn Shah also encouraged us to be very careful in how much care we gave to looking after things. And so I'm, I'm thinking again, looking after my relationship with my mother, according to Dhamma. Ajahn Shah also encouraged us to be very careful in how much care we gave to looking after things. He liked using the image of a glass already being broken. But just because a glass is destined to break or is already broken doesn't mean that we use it to net, we knew we use it ned, negligently <laughs> or recklessly. It's the same way for the teachings. Things are impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self. But the appropriate response, according to the Dhamma, is the response of caring, diligence, and a foundation in very wholesome qualities. And that takes real wisdom. That's the function of wisdom, directing attention. 
We know when it's appropriate to direct attention to the way things are and when it's best to find the appropriate response based on practice. If we do not hold these elements correctly, we get stuck. Sometimes we are ready to let go and pack it up because it's all suffering anyway. It takes a certain wisdom to see that. But again, if it's not informed by the path of training, the heart that is free doesn't display itself. Similarly, if we're always trying to gain benefit and it's not informed by the truth of things, the truth of impermanence, dukkha, or non-self, then we spend all our time trying to perfect qualities, trying to do, keeping ourselves busy with practice, and it's not liberating the heart. We need to see the truth of things in all situations and the wholesome response appropriate to Dhamma in a way that creates benefit and is grounded in freedom. There needs to be real questioning within the heart. If truth and practice are not informing and supporting each other, then the whole path of freedom doesn't manifest. That balance is very difficult to actualize. The teachings give us tools to investigate more clearly, to strike a, strike a balance with wisdom. We need to learn to utilize the wisdom to cut through and relinquish defilements biases and prejudices rather than to support them. So paying attention to when we're supporting our biases, our opinions, our resentments, pay attention because that is not the way of Dhamma. That will not lead to freedom. It leads to suffering. And when we suffer, Sometimes we blame ourselves. Sometimes we blame others. Neither of those is the path. The path is in the noble eightfold path. Look it up. 